today. We've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. I think we're on like miracle number six, miracle number seven, something like that. And each one of the miracles has been over and over and over. Just an amazing miracle that Jesus does, showing his authority over the different things in our lives and the things in this world. And it's getting to a point where it's going to say he has authority, he has power over all things. There's nothing that is not underneath his feet. But today we come to a passage, and this is the, the most amazing miracle that I've seen him do. There's nothing like this. In this passage today, we're going to see that nothing showcases the power of God like the raising of the dead. Uh, and I'm going to say that again. I want you to get the main point of the sermon. Nothing showcases the power of God like raising the dead. And Jesus here is going to do that. He's going to raise a little 12-year-old girl from the dead, showing his power, his authority over death. And that's the title of the sermon today, and this is not original, this is not my own title. I've seen a dozen preachers this week that have used this same title. It may be in your Bibles. Jesus' power over death. Uh, so let's stand together and we're going to read this passage, and that's what you'll see. And it's not just his power over death. You're going to get a two-for-one here today, because he does two miracles in one passage. But the main miracle is his power over death. So I'm going to start reading in verse 18, and we'll read through verse 26. And I think this is one of these stories that if you've heard it before, it stands out, you remember it. If you've not heard this story before, this true story, then you will never forget it. From this day on, you'll always remember the uh, power of Jesus over death. So let me start in verse 18 and read through verse 26. And it says, While he spake these things unto them, and you'll see this word, Behold. You guys know it's one of my favorite words in Matthew. Behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead. But come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood for twelve years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, and in the Greek this would be, and she keeps saying to herself over and over and over and over, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. If I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. She's repeating that over and over and over. If I could just get to Jesus, I'll be saved. But Jesus turned him, him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that very hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house, he saw the minstrels and the people making noise. And he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. <laughs> they laughed at him. They made fun of him. But when the people were put forth, he went in. And he took her by the hand. And the maid arose. And the fame of Jesus hereof went abroad into all that land. This is his power over our greatest fear. His power over death. Let's pray together and then we'll study this. Father, we thank you for these words. What marvelous words they are. We need to hear this today. We need to see not just that Jesus has power over death, but the proof in that power is that Jesus is God. And we need that proclaimed. We need people in here to believe that, to stand upon that. We, we want to see that so that we may fall at Jesus' feet the same way this ruler did and worship him. So God, help me today to present these truths. They are great. Let the people in the pews here to receive them well. God, at the end of this sermon, everybody in here can say yes and amen. I believe every word of that. As we see the power over death. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I asked Gracie on the way here this morning as we were riding the church van what she thought the greatest fears of the world are. Because I went online yesterday and I put the, the greatest fears, the most common fears in the world. What are they? The things that we are scared of the most. And Gracie gave me her list. And I, I'll give you the list of things that I, I saw. The phobias they are. I was going to give you the phobia names, but I knew I would mess those up. So I'll just give you the, the fears. Here's some of the ones that I found uh, Yesterday, as I was looking this up, there's, there's a fear of spiders. That was one of the top ones, a fear of spiders. There's a fear of snakes. There's a fear of public speaking. There's a fear of heights. There's a fear of being around people. And there's a fear of being alone. Two opposite things. There's a fear of germs. There's several maybe of you guys in here today. 
There's a fear of, of, of all kinds of different things that, that we saw here. But on every list that I saw, the most common fear on every list and in everybody's life, you guys probably know what it is. It's not snakes. It's not spiders. It's not public speaking. It's not heights. The number one fear in everybody's life, uh, uh, it's, it's common across every person, place you, you will go, is the fear of death. None of us want to die. We all want to escape death. We spend our times at doctors. We take medicines. We, we exercise. We do everything that we can, everything imaginable, so that we might escape death. But none of us are ever going to escape death. Death is inevitable. The Bible says that uh, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. We all have an appointment with death. One out of every one person in the world dies. We have an appointment with death and there's no escaping it. We, we are, it it's unavoidable. It's inevitable. It looms. It haunts over us. It's a, it's a reminder to us every day that we live. We drive through Big Stone. You see graveyards. You see funeral homes. Everywhere you go, you're reminded that we are all going to die. That's the curse that come upon us in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, it's the curse of sin. It's all on us. We are all going to die. I think it was Ben Franklin that said there's only two certainties in life. Death and taxes. We're all going to die and we're all going to pay taxes. It's death. I mean that, so we all got to ask this question. And I, I found this this week in a commentary. A scientist named G.B. Hardy. And he was a, a scientist in Canada. And he said this. We all got to do this. He, he asked this question. He said, I looked around the world. And I looked at all the religions of the world. And I had two questions. Here's question number one. Has anyone ever conquered death? I looked at every religion in the world, he said. And I asked, has anyone conquered death? Question number two. And if so, have they made a way for me to conquer death? He said, when I'm looking at religions, that's what I have to find. Has anyone conquered death? And if they have, have they made a way for me to conquer death? To conquer my greatest fear? And here's what he did. He searched all the religions. And watch this. He said, I checked Buddha's grave. And it was occupied. I checked Confucius's grave. That's hard to say. I checked Confucius's grave. It was occupied. I checked Mohammed's grave, and it was occupied. I checked every doctor's grave, every scientist's grave, and every politician's grave, and every single one of those was occupied. He said, then I checked the grave of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was empty. He was not there. And so he said, it's the only religion in all the world where they have a Savior who conquered our greatest fear. He's the only one that has conquered death. He's the only one that Revelation says he holds the keys to death and to hell and to the grave. He's the only one that has a set of those keys. I'll give you another one. He's the, uh, the only one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's the only one that shows that resurrection power in this passage. There are no others. If you're looking for a religion, if you're looking for a man to follow, follow the man who conquered your greatest fear. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ because all others, get this, are frauds, fakes, and charlatans. He is the only one worthy to be followed. The one who conquered death. And that's what he shows us here. He's shown us some great things in these miraculous passages. He's conquered one hopeless situation after the other. He conquered disease. We're all scared of disease. Check that one off. He conquered demons. We should all be scared of demons. Jesus, check that one off. Let's keep going down the list. He conquered, we're all scared of disasters, storms, things that are out of our control that could come into our life and wipe us out. Jesus conquered disasters. Check that one off. He came in and forgave that one man's sin. Sin should be one of our greatest fears. Check that one off. Jesus alone forgives sin. So what's left? What is our last enemy, our greatest enemy, our final enemy? It is death. It's the last one that Jesus hasn't checked off here. And you better believe in this passage, it's not just disease, demons, disaster, and depravity. Jesus is going to conquer our greatest fear and check off death. I got that one too. There's nothing in this world that He doesn't have control over. I love that. 
He has power and authority over our greatest enemy. He faces death. In this passage, he walks into a funeral. The only one ever to do this. I walk into funerals and cry. I walk into funerals and I say, I'm so sorry. What can I do? Jesus walks into a funeral and what was tears becomes joy. He walks into a funeral and walks out victorious. He is the only one who has the power to conquer death. To take the fear out of death. 1 Corinthians 15 says that he takes the sting out of it. I'll say this. If you take the stinger off a bee, is anybody scared of it? You know what it becomes? A fly that you swat. And if you take the sting out of death, it's not anything to be feared anymore. And Jesus went into death and he pulled the stinger off of it. There is no more wonderful news in all the world than to know that our Savior has conquered death. I'm going to say that again. There is no more wonderful news in the world than to know that our Savior has conquered death. And we are the only ones that can say that. So here we'll see the greatest demonstration of his power. Again, the title, Jesus' power. Power over death. I'm going to give you three headings to kind of hang your hat on as we work through this passage. It's a story, so we're going to see three different things that take place here. And it's a great story. I want to start with number one. And I struggled with what to title this point here because I put myself in his father's shoes here. And I want to describe that father. What is that father like? What is he going through? So I titled this first point, The Pitiful Desperation. There's only one way to describe it. It's pitiful and it's desperate. As you see here in verse 18, it says, While he spake these things unto them, so Jesus is still talking. Verses 16 and 17, he's talking about putting a new cloth on an old garment. He's talking about putting new wine into old bottles. He's talking about uh, fasting. I mean, we saw those verses last week. That's what he's talking to them about. He's teaching. There's a crowd gathered around him. And then it says, that, that word there that I, I circle and I highlight, where it says, Behold! Uh, and it's, it's, that word is meant to be, it's shocking, it's, it's surprising, it's, it's out of nowhere. It's like you're watching a movie and all of a sudden there's a, there's a twist that turns in a different direction. You ever been watching a movie and it's just like normal, normal, normal. Wow, where did that come from? That's what happens here. He's, he's teaching, he's talking, and then behold, out of nowhere, something happened. And look what happens. There came a certain ruler. Mark 5 says this guy's name is Jairus. Who is this guy? He's a synagogue official. He's one of the most important people in that town. He runs the synagogue. If you walked up to him and on, on Saturday when they had Sabbath, he was running the place. He was setting things in order. If, it, if you had it here today, he'd be setting up the camera. He'd be turning on the lights. He'd be getting, making sure the microphones are ready. He, he run the synagogue for the Jews there. He was their, their official. He was their ruler. Again, he was one of the most important men in that town. When he walked through town, people waved at him. I mean, he, he, was, he was very important. He was very popular. Everybody knew this man named Jarius, And he's a part of the group that hates Jesus, that's out to get to Jesus. And all of a sudden, this guy every one of them the scribes and the pharisees out to get jesus and all of a sudden jarius one of them comes running up to jesus behold he comes running up to jesus and why does he run up to jesus because he is desperate he'd have to be desperate to be in that group that hates jesus and now he's running to jesus he'd have to be desperate what is what is the reason why he's at the end of his rope he has one option left Jesus. He tried everything else and nothing else worked. What's wrong? His 12-year-old daughter is dying. Mark 5 says she's 12. Mark 5 says she's not dead yet. You say, why does it say she's dead here? I, I was telling Isaiah the other day, we were talking about it, we was watching a game and I said, wow, this game's over. And Isaiah was like, there's, there's a couple minutes left, but it's a blowout. It's over. It's done. And that's what he's saying here. It's not that she's already dead, but she might as well be. She's, she's knock, knock, knocking on, on, on death's door is what she's doing. She's about to die at any time. It could be minutes. It could be hours. And he shows up at Jesus' feet and he says my, the, the most serious words a father could ever say. 
My daughter's dying. Death is knocking at his door. And it could happen at any time to his daughter. She's laying in bed sick. And his last resort is this Jewish official coming to Jesus. And what does he do? Look what it says he, did. he does. He worshipped him. The word worship there means he falls at his feet and, and he kisses the ground. It, it means to put your face as far into the ground as you can so that you get, you're getting your nose and your mouth in the dirt at the feet of, of, of the man you're worshipping or falling before. So he collapses at the feet of Jesus. He's helpless. He's hopeless. He, he's humble. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. At this moment, he is so desperate, he don't care what all the other Jewish leaders think, he don't care what the crowd thinks, he is nose first in the ground, looking up at Jesus saying, my daughter's dying! His only concern is getting, getting Jesus to his daughter. Desperation has driven many a men to Jesus. And desperation has driven this man to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus, sometimes Jesus needs to get you to the end of your rope in order for you to run to him. This guy would have never done that if his daughter hadn't been on death's door. He had to do whatever he had to do. There was one thing on his mind. I must get Jesus to my daughter. And look what he says. I like this. And he says, my daughter is even now dead. She's dying. You see this prayer? I'll say this, desperation has driven many men to Jesus, and desperate men know how to pray. This is not a formal prayer, this is not planned, this is not casual. This prayer that he is giving to Jesus, just imagine it if you're in your, if it's you, put yourself in this, in the shoes of this man. Your daughter is dying, your child is dying, and you're running to Jesus, and you're praying to him. You don't have an outlined, formal little prayer. What you're going to do is, is you understand his heart. This is a, a parent calling out to Jesus, if you don't come with me, she'll die. It's urgent. Come lay hands on her, he says, and she will live. Come with me. He shows great faith. He believed Jesus could do it. He showed great humility. This man is used to giving orders. Imagine that. He goes to the synagogue and he tells people what to do. You, here, you, here, you, do this. And now he's on his face begging Jesus, please come put your hands on my daughter. This is out of his hands. It's out of control. Have you ever been there? Well, there's nothing you can do. And the only thing you can do is place it at the feet of Jesus. There's nothing else I can do. It's out of my control. Death is knocking on my door. Death is taking my, my only daughter. Death is taking her at 12 years old. She's just now reached womanhood. Her life is just beginning. Please take my life and not hers. Come to our house, please. If you don't come, she'll die. That's all in verse 18 there. I want you to feel the, the heart behind this. I want it to be like your own prayers for your own kids. If you don't save my kids, they'll die and go to hell. Save my children. It's desperate. He's pleading. It's urgent. When was the last time any of us prayed like that? God bless America. If you don't save America, it's going to crumble and fall. We don't do it until we reach a desperation point. What does Jesus do? I love this. It says in verse 19, it's an, that's an amazing verse. And Jesus arose. He got up and he said, let's go. He had a crowd of people surrounding him. They were all wanting something from him. They were all pulling at his clothes. They were all asking him questions. He was teaching. And this one man comes running up and gets on his face before Jesus. And Jesus could have easily looked at him and said, I thought you hated me. I thought you were out to get me. I thought you were one of those whispering behind my back just the other day, talking to the disciples, saying, who does he think he is? Jesus could have easily condemned him, scorned him, and sent him away and said, you don't like me, go on. Jesus could have easily said, i got other things to do. i got other places to go. But that's not who Jesus is. 
Jesus is a compassionate Savior. He loves. He is available. I love that. I wrote that down. Jesus is available to this guy. He stopped everything that he was doing. He takes time and he says, let's go. I love that when I call upon the name of the Lord in prayer, it's like he stops everything that he's doing. It's not. Like he's not too busy running the world and keeping America in check. He says, Josh, what do you need? Let's go. That's an amazing thing. That Jesus is available To all of us. That's who He is. He's not like other little G-gods that are non-existent gods that are uh, emotionally detached and uncaring and unconcerned and stone-faced. No, our Savior is caring, compassionate, involved, emotionally connected with each one of us. No, Jesus immediately responded to the desperate prayer of this Father. And I'm a father who calls upon him all the time in desperation for my own children. And I love that he answers this father. So now what happens? It says Jesus arose. I love that word because it's the same word that we see over and over in this passage. Arise, arose, arise, arose. And Jesus arose. And he followed him. So that means now that the father's out in the lead and Jesus is following him. Saying, show me where your house is. Let's go. The disciples are right behind him. It says there, and so did his disciples. They're following behind him. And get this, as you keep on going, there's a crowd still flocking. And they follow Jesus as he goes too. So it's almost like he's a celebrity and everybody's just flocking around him. So you have a father, you have Jesus, you have the disciples, you have the crowd that's still around him. And they're saying, wherever Jesus goes, we're going to go. So now they're just moving towards this guy's house. And now in the father's mind, and I want you to keep this, in the father's mind, there's, there's hope. Just a little bit of hope. He knows that in minutes, maybe an hour, maybe less, his daughter could die. So they're in a hurry. He's looking at Jesus and he's saying, don't walk, let's run. You know, get your running sandals on. We're going to get there as fast as we can. We're going to, we're going to get, we've got to get to the house and time is running out. So let's get there as fast as you can. There's no stopping for anything. It's like if your wife is pregnant and she's ready to go. You'll stop for Starbucks. <laughs> you can hold on a little bit longer, can't you? I've got to stop and get a coffee. No. Pedal to the metal. You gotta go. If you want to keep your teeth, you go. <laughs> you don't stop for red lights, do you? You go. That's what this guy's saying. Jesus stopped for nothing and stopped for nobody. As fast as we can, we're going from point A here to point B there at my house. We've got to go. And watch what happens. Let me show you point number two. That was a pitiful desperation. Let me show you now the purposeful delay. And, what's the, what's the word there in verse 20? And, <laughs> behold, it's our word again. Something surprising happens. Another twist in the movie. It's unexpected. It's out of nowhere. What now? And behold, a woman, which was diseased with the issue of blood for 12 years, came behind him and touched him, the hem of his garment. She grabbed a hold of him. She stopped him. Okay? She didn't poke him on the shoulder. She didn't holler at him, Hey, Jesus! When it says touched, I said this about the leper, when it says touched, she reached out and she grabbed a hold of him. When it says she grabbed the hem of his garment, it means that she got a big handful, maybe even two handfuls of his garment, a hem, at the bottom of his garment, and she wouldn't let go. Father sitting there saying, let him go. Let him go. We've got minutes. We've got seconds. Let him go. And she holds on. And she won't let go. You say, who is this? We don't know. She's nameless. You say, what's wrong? She's been bleeding for 12 years. It's a hemorrhage. As I've been told, it's a female problem, so we won't go any deeper than that. What's she doing? It says, as she's reaching out, she's saying within herself, if I may touch his garment, I shall be whole. 
She's saying it out loud. If I may touch his garment, I shall be made whole. If I may touch his garment, I shall be made whole. That's what it is in the, in the Greek. It's just continual. It's repetitive. If I may just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. If I can just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. You say, why is this such a big deal? Number one, women don't grab men in that time. And number two, sick women really don't grab men at that time. You don't have to turn there, but I want to, I want to read you a passage out of Leviticus. Just to show you what I'm saying. Leviticus chapter 15. This was the law. Women don't grab men. It's a good rule for young girls here. <laughs> Sick women. It's, a good, it's another good rule during flu season. Sick women don't grab men. Well, here's why. Verse 25. And if a woman have an issue of her blood, many days out of the time of her separation... Or if it run beyond the time of her separation, if, if she keeps bleeding beyond that time, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She is to be considered unclean. What's this? Every bed that she lies on is unclean. Every chair that she sits on is unclean. Anybody who touches her is considered unclean. Anything she touches, anything she sits on during this time of blood, she is considered unclean. She is the next level below a leper. A leper you would never touch and never be around. And a hemorrhaging woman who is bleeding out, you do not touch. So this woman, again, rule number one, women don't touch men. Rule number two, sick women really don't touch men. And she reaches out and she touches Jesus. Everybody in the crowd will be saying, Behold! Wow! What is she doing? What, again, remember, Leviticus says, Anything she touches becomes unclean. And she just touched Jesus, which in their minds would make Him unclean. Hmm. She must be desperate too. Mark 5 says that she's been having this problem for 12 years. Can you imagine 12 years of bleeding, the physical suffering that you would have? Luke 8 says that she'd been to every doctor in the land and had every procedure that she could have. And that she had spent every dime that she had, that she had not a single cent left. And all those doctors had done nothing but make her worse. You had all these witch doctors back then that they would go to. It wasn't real professional doctors, and they'd give you all kinds of little things that you'd have to try. You know, just, just all kinds of stuff. So she tried everything, and nothing worked. It just made her worse. She was isolated. If you're bleeding like that for 12 years, nobody would have anything to do with you. You wouldn't be married. You'd have no kids. You'd have nothing. You'd have nobody. And the religious t- people of that time would shun you and keep you out of the synagogue. If you're bleeding, you stay out. Jesus is... Her last resort. Hmm. She's desperate. And what does Jesus do? Verse 22. But Jesus turned him about. You know what he did? He stopped. And the father. Let's go back to the father who's right in front of him. Father, Jesus, disciples. And Jesus stops and it says he turns around. It said that he turned around. And the father's sitting there thinking, no, we're in a hurry. My daughter has less than an hour. My daughter has minutes. She is probably already dead and he doesn't even know it yet. But he's saying, no, come on. It may be, he may even be pulling Jesus and he's thinking, this woman, just get in his mind, this woman will be alive in an hour. Come back for her. My daughter won't be alive in an hour. Jesus, let's go. Leave her alone. But Jesus stops, turns around, and Mark 5 says, he said, who touched me? (laughs) And Mark looks at him and says, everybody's touching you. Crowd all around. And Jesus starts asking everybody, you, you, you. And he sees her. And he calls her out. (laughs) This woman is called out publicly in front of everybody. She's crossed a line and she knows it. People have died for less than what she's done. And she is now at his feet. And she is now trembling and scared. 
And what does Jesus do to her? Look what he says. Daughter. The only time he ever called a woman daughter in the entire New Testament. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Take comfort. Thy faith has made you whole. Can you imagine the look in her eyes when Jesus takes time for a woman like her? If you put the stories together in all the Gospels, this is, this is the order of how things happen. When she grabbed the hem of his garment, it says in Mark 5, that the issue of blood dried up immediately. Get this. This is so good. She didn't make him unclean by touching him. He made her clean when she touched him. So when Jesus says, who touched me, and turns around and looks at her, she's already clean. She's already healed. What does he say here? Thy faith hath made thee whole. He looks at her and he says, your faith has not only healed you physically, you are now saved spiritually. You are going to go back 100% completely healed from this problem. So now not only does she know she's healed, he knows she's healed, and now all the crowd can gather around and touch her because she is clean. She's healed. And he says there, Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that very hour. Get this, faith doesn't always guarantee healing, but it does always guarantee saving. God never saves apart from faith. He does sometimes heal apart from faith. And now, I want to show you one more thing before we move on. Says, and the woman was made whole from that very hour. Jesus doesn't just care about the most important man in town. He also cares about the least important woman in town. Look at the contrast here. He was, get this, and he's sitting there pulling her. No! And everybody in the crowd saying, this guy's a ruler. This guy's a ruler in the synagogue. He's more important than she is. The daughter is more important than, than this daughter. Leave her and go to the important man. But Jesus, watch this. He is, Jairus, a very important man. And she is an unknown woman. He is a ruler of the synagogue. She is a face in the crowd. He is wealthy and she is broke. She doesn't have a dime to her name. He is respected and she is rejected. He has had 12 years of happiness with his daughter. She's had 12 years of heartache with her blood. And Jesus has his arms wide open, not only to the most respected man in town, but to the most rejected woman in town. He loves and cares for all types of people. That's a great truth. I love the compassion and the love of Jesus. Get this. What do these two people have in common? They didn't know each other. They had no relation. A ruler wouldn't have anything to do with her. But here they are in this story together throughout all time. What do they have in common? Number one, a desperate need for Jesus. You get that? That's what we all have in common here today. Every one of us from all walks of life. You may be rejected. You may be respected. You may be rich. You may need to be poor. But all of us have this in common. We have a desperate need for Jesus. Every one of us. And number two, we have Jesus with His arms wide open to us. We all have that in common. That's a great truth. But we haven't even got to the best part yet. I've hit a climax already. You guys know we're going to keep climbing. <laughs> We've not hit the crescendo yet. Watch this. It's a miracle that he does this. But this delay has proven to be deadly. Look what happens. I've shown you the pitiful desperation, the purposeful delay. And let me close with the powerful deliverance. Powerful deliverance. Because when Jesus comes into the house, he arrives, they get there, leaves the woman behind, she's clean, she's healed, she's saved, 100%. And they go walking. I'm sure they're running now. Get those knees up, let's go, you know. Tighten that belt, get those sandals ready, let's run. And they pull up, and it's too late. 
they show up and they've already started a funeral. In that time, as soon as somebody died, you started the funeral. Immediately. You had to get them in the ground before the sun went down. They didn't have the stuff we have. So they've immediately started the funeral. The 12-year-old girl is dead. In their minds, get this, the father's thinking, if only Jesus hadn't stopped for that woman, maybe he would have made it in time. But understand this, before we go any further, I've got to teach this. Jesus doesn't run on our schedule. He doesn't run on our agenda. I have a plan. You have a plan. I have an agenda for everything I do every single day, seven days a week. I start early. I know what I'm going to do. Steph, tell, Steph will tell you that. I, I said, we, we go on vacation, and I hand out agendas to everybody in the car. I mean, I did, my parents will tell you that. I hand, it, I hand out agendas, and, I, and it's like, we're going to drive this far, and at this point, we're going to hit this gas station. We're going to be in this gas station for this time. You can use the bathroom then. You can't use the bathroom again for another three hours, and we're just going to, you know, just, I mean, I'm an agenda-type person. I'm set. I'm ordered, and, and I have learned that we, God doesn't work on my agenda. He doesn't work on my time. That when I pray to God and I say, I need you to do this <laughs> at this time, in this way, I need you to be on Josh's schedule. I'm just like that, Father, come on. I need you now. And Jesus is like, whoa. I do things in my own time. In my own way for my own purpose. In my own agenda. He has a divine calendar in heaven that he works on that we don't know. And he has a plan here that the father doesn't understand. He knows what he's doing. He's confident. He didn't show up and say, oh, missed it by that much. There's no surprises in heaven. Understand that. Nothing will happen in this world where God will say, whoa, missed that one, you know. Plan B. This was plan A from the foundation of the world. He knew what he was doing. He had a plan. He is setting the stage for an even greater miracle than you can ever imagine. He paused on purpose. And a lot of times in our life, his pauses in your life is on purpose. Setting the stage for something even greater. Does the Bible not say that he works all things for the good? For those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. So everything in our life, every issue... I mean, this is the worst thing that Father can ever imagine. And He's sitting there saying, What good is going to come out of this? He hasn't read the next verse. Get this. You look at your life right now and say, What good can come out of this? You haven't read the next verse of your life. Look what happens. He walks into a funeral. <laughs> It's chaos. I want you to see this scene. He walks into the ruler's house and he sees the minstrels and the people making a, a noise. Mark 5 would say they are making a, a great noise. It's chaos. The child of one of the most important people in town has died. There's chaos. There's madness. There's sadness. There's disorder. There's wailing. That's what these minstrels are. They're, they're, they're musicians. They're playing loud music. If we walk into a funeral home right now, everybody's, there's soft music playing. I've been to so many funerals. And you walk in, you talk to people, you say, whisper, praying for you. You know, real quiet. At this time, the, la the funerals were louder, the louder the better. They hired people to wail. They hired people. They had hired musicians to come in and play flutes and, and, and just to make a lot of noise. They wanted everybody in the town to know they were weeping. They, they were wailing. They, they wanted everybody in the town to know that they were broken, that they, they were hurting. In that time, get this, I think this is a, an amazing picture. They would rip their clothes. Parents that lost their children. I read this in a commentary this week. I was amazed by it. They, they would, what they would do is they would take their shirt, their, their best shirt, and they would rip a big piece of cloth out of it in the middle of their shirt, representing where their heart was at, and they would rip it out. And the bigger the hole, the more their heart was breaking. And they would walk around with a big hole in their shirt so that everybody knew this guy has something major going on. His heart is broken. So they're ripping their clothes, they're wailing, they're screeching, they're, they're shrieking, they're howling. It is a scene that he shows up to here. 
And he steps in. <laughs> and believe me, when Jesus shows up at a funeral, something's going to happen. D.L. Moody was asked to preach a funeral sermon one time. He said, the old preacher, he said, I'm going to find a sermon that Jesus preached at a funeral, and I'm going to preach that. And he searched the New Testament over, all four Gospels, and he found that every funeral Jesus went to, as soon as he spoke, the dead rised. <laughs> he didn't have a funeral sermon because he changed the setting when he got there. There's no need for a funeral. As soon as he speaks, something happens. So he walks in, and what does he say? <laughs> this is amazing. He said unto them, Get out of the way. <laughs> You've got to love that. That's Josh version. It says give place. But if you're translating it in, in Josh Tompkins English, get out of my way. Stop the funeral. For the maid is not dead, but she's asleep. Wow. He's saying this, this is what he's saying. She's not asleep. She's dead. He's saying this isn't permanent. It's only temporary. Because that's what sleep is. Sometimes we wish it was a little bit longer. But when you lay down to sleep, you're going to get up. Some of y'all sleeping in the sermon right now. You're going to get up. I said it a few weeks ago. I have people sitting there sound asleep. And I'll wake them up and they go back and pray. You know. <laughs> you're going to wake up. So Jesus says, she'll wake up and get this, so will we. That's what makes death not scary to us anymore. Because we know only Jesus can turn death, something permanent, into a word where it's always described now as sleep. You know why? Because we're going to go into that grave. Our bodies will. One out of one person dies so we're all going to go to that grave one day and they're all going to pour dirt on us and we're going to be in a casket and there's going to be a tombstone. It's going to be there unless Jesus returns. But it's not permanent. It's only temporary. Because one of these days, Jesus with His power over death is going to say the word, arise. And our glorified resurrection bodies are going to come up out of that grave. It's just sleeping. And what do they do? He says, she's, she's not dead. She's asleep. And they laughed him to scorn. All these people that were in there making this noise literally make fun of Jesus. They point at him and laugh. Who do you think you are? We know she's dead. What are you talking about? And look what Jesus does. But when those people were put forth, understand this, he rebukes those people. It's almost like he's doing it in an angry way. Same term used for what he did to the demons out of that man in, in the earlier chapter. He rebuked the demons in that man and said, get out of him. Get, get out of him. And he looked at these people that were making fun of him, laughing him to scorn, and he said, get out. Same terms that he used for the money changers. He, he run them out. He run out the demons. He run out the money changers in the temple who were making a, a mockery of the temple. And he run these guys out. How dare you laugh at Jesus? Get out of here. He runs them out. And he goes in. Him, Peter, James, John, mother, father. Walk into the room. The mother who had heard the last breath that she had ever breathed or thought so. The father who's looking down at his, at his little girl. Look at Mark 5. I'm not asking you to turn there, but I want to. Mark 5, verse 40. Same story, different gospel. Mark 5, verse 40. It says, And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, 
and them that were with him, and he entereth in where the damsel was lying. So they walk into the room, and there she lays. Her body is steel, her body is cold, her body is lifeless. The situation that Jesus walks into is hopeless, 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 hopeless. She's gone, and there is not anyone that's ever lived who's able to do anything about it. Understand me. There's not anyone from that point back who's ever been able to do anything about death. There's not anyone from that point forward that's ever been able to do anything about death. But in walks the one who can conquer death. And he walks in, and what does he say? What does he do? I'm going to tell you something else here. He took her by the hand, verse 41 of Mark 5, and he took her by the hand. Get this, there's two things you don't touch. You don't touch someone who's bleeding, and you don't touch a dead body. It makes you unclean, and he touched both. He takes her by the hand, so tender. The same Savior who can stand up and rebuke a storm is the same one who's soft enough to reach down and touch a little girl's hand. We talk about him being the sovereign, almighty God who created the universe, who sustains it all, who sits on a throne and can do anything he wants to do. And he can. But let's not also, let's not miss that we have a Savior who is so tender and so sweet that he reaches down and touches her hand. And what does he say? And he said unto her, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. There's a lot of different interpretations of what this means. He called her a damsel. But my take would be, he looks at her and he says, sweetheart, get up. Just like that father and mother would if it was a healthy little girl. When it's time to get up, sweetheart, it's time to get up. Like me or Steph trying to wake up our little Emma this morning, sweetheart, it's time to get up. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. I go into Gracie's room, sweetheart, it's time to get up. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. He looks and he says, Talitha Coombe. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. And when he says that, he's not just speaking to her body. He is speaking to her spirit who is now in the presence of God in heaven. And he says, Talitha Coombe. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. Sweetheart, arise. Sweetheart, get up. And what does she do? Immediately, on the spot, without delay, she sits up. Power over death. She doesn't wait. The body doesn't sit there and she doesn't knock. She's coming out of a coma. She gets up. Look in verse 42 in the straight way. I love the word straight way that Mark uses there. Immediately. In a twinkling of an eye. Split second. Snap of a finger. As soon as he said, sweetheart. I wish my kids responded that way. <laughs> sweetheart, get up. It becomes, get up. <laughs> but as soon as he says, and I think he said, in my mind he says it with a soft voice. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. And she gets up. The damsel arose. The same word. I, I can't. I wish I understood the significance of this. The same words that he uses arose. Over and over. To the, to the, the paralytic who's on the mat. Arise. And he arose. Over and over and over. He says she got up. She opens her eyes. She sees Jesus. She turns her head. She walks around. Jesus tells the family, get her something to eat. And she walks around just like a normal 12-year-old would. The voice that casts out demons, the voice that calms the sea, is the same voice that raises the dead. This voice shatters death. It breaks the hold of death. And Jesus has, has turned this funeral upside down. Are you with me? Watch this. I, I want to show you this and, and I'm, I'm closing. This funeral changed with Jesus saying, sweetheart, get up. He walked into death and he's going to walk out leaving life. That's what he does in all of us. When he came into my life, there was nothing but death and darkness. 
Nothing but death and darkness. And now there's light. He walked into, and I'll say that about a church too. I've got a couple extra minutes here. When he walks into a church, there's a lot of churches, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way or a bad way, but there's a lot of cold, dead, lifeless churches. And when you bring Jesus in, and how do you bring Jesus in? I, I wish I could talk to pastors. How do we do it? How do we do it? Do we need a band? <laughs> no. That just makes it louder. Do we need program? No. You open up the book and you let it roar. And when you open up the book and let it roar, the Holy Spirit of God breathes life into the church. Spiritual life into the church. Kids get saved. Adults get saved. There's holiness. There's right living. There's power. So when Jesus shows up, he brings life out of death. I'll give you another one. He showed up and it was chaos. Was your life chaos before Jesus? You better believe it was. There's some lives in here that right now they're chaos. You know what you need? Jesus to walk in. Marriage is a chaos. You know what you need? Jesus to walk in. Church is chaos. You know what you need? Jesus to walk in. Nations in an uproar. You know what you need? Jesus to walk in. Because when Jesus shows up, He not only brings life into a death situation, He brings calm into chaos. He's walking out and everything now is calm. Where is those people that were mocking Him now? If I was Jesus, I'd have walked out like this right here. I'll give you another one. You want, you want, you want another couple ones here? Watch this. He walked into sadness. And he walks out and it's happiness. My life was... I, I, I may have acted happy, but I was deep down at the heart, at the core of who I am. I was as sad as I could be. But when Jesus walked in, now I'm singing happy every day. My life isn't great. And it's not always sunshine and flowers, but there's a joy, joy, joy down deep in my heart that nobody can take away. Why? Because Jesus came walking into my life. I'll give you one more. He walked into a hopeless situation and he leaves it a hallelujah situation. Where everybody there, can you imagine the mother and father now? Can you imagine the mom who watched the daughter die and the, and the, and the, the husband there, the father, who, who went begging for Jesus? If you could just touch her. And now it's hallelujahs all across the house. It was sad songs. Now it's happy songs. It was hopeless. And now it's hallelujah. It was death. And now it's life. It was sadness. And now they're all glad. Why? Because Jesus came walking in. <laughs> Only Jesus can do that. I've seen people say, you know, girls... I'm so sad. If I could just find the right guy. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's true. But the right guy is Jesus. I say, if I could just get the right job. If I could just have the right house. If I could just have the right kids. If I could just have this. and I could just have a little bit of this. Or a little bit of this, more health. Or, or whatever it may be. No, you need Jesus is what you need. Only Jesus can do these things. And what happens? <laughs> oh, back to Matthew 9 and the fame verse 26 the fame of Jesus went abroad into all the land you better believe it did Mark 5 says and you guys could turn back there you don't have to says, it says this they were astonished with great astonishment that's kind of repetitive is it not it means that they were astonished upon astonishment on top of astonishment upon astonishment. Everybody around the room, they looked around and their jaws were on the floor. This is amazing. Matthew 9, again, fame went abroad. The word got out. The parents, can you imagine the parents? Everywhere they go, school. My girl was dead. <laughs> now she's alive. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> that little girl probably went to school. I was dead the other day. <laughs> how are you alive today I met a man named Jesus is what happened 
And his fame went abroad. I mean, it's everywhere. Everybody hears that there's now... I love how this is coming full circle. Everybody in that land now hears that there's a man who has conquered death. They had never heard of that before. Death was just as big a fear for them at that time as it is for us today. They were looking for a man who's conquered death, just like we're looking for a man who's conquered death. So everybody in that area is now saying, I hear there's word that somebody can conquer death. Who is he? How can I find him? What's his name? His name is Jesus. He's conquered death. He holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. We all need to go running to Jesus and say, you've conquered death, now tell me how I can too. So they all go running to Jesus. So that's question number two. I don't know if you noticed that. I answered question number one in the introduction. Is there anybody that's conquered death? Yes, his name's Jesus. Has he made a way for us to conquer death? And the answer is, yes, he has. I'm going to ask you to turn the place. Turn with me to John. John chapter 11. I, I, this, is, this is a great passage. John 11. Has He made a way for us? You better believe He's made a way for us. Verse 25. John chapter 11. Jesus said unto her, and you know what just happened there? Lazarus died. And Jesus shows up a day late at the funeral. And Jesus walks in. He weeps because, again, He's emotionally attached to us. But He walks in and it completely changes a funeral. And Jesus said unto her, I am. Ego ema. I am. The resurrection and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in Me, shall never die. Do you believe this? That's how you can conquer death too. You say, how? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And though you die, you will live. Do you believe this? I was talking to some kids at FCA the other day and I asked them that question. Do you believe in Jesus? Because I told him, I said, there's two things you've got to do. You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has raised him from the dead, and you've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I looked at him and I said, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus was risen from the dead? Do you believe that he has power over death? Do you believe that he's God? Do you believe that he went to the cross and he died for our sins? Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? And I got out there a bunch of blank stares. And I said, here's what we're going to do. This is what I do with my kids when they give me a blank stare. I look at them and I say, I need you to visually acknowledge that you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> they just look at me. Do, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> do you believe this? And those kids at FCA are just sitting there looking at me and I said, here's how we do things. If you believe it, do this. If you don't believe it, do this. If you can't hear me, we'll find somebody to do sign language for you. And I said, I looked at him, I said, okay, so do you believe what this says? And everybody in that room, I looked at him. In a public school with probably 15 kids in there, looked at me and done. So now I'm looking at you. I'm going to look at every group here. Jesus said, what was now? Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Okay. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Then you can conquer death too. All you have to do is put your full faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that today, I ask you to do it today. I ask you to be as desperate as they were and run to Jesus, understanding that He holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And if you put your faith in Him and you believe these things like you said you did, yeah, 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 yeah. If you believe them, 
He takes the fear of death away. Oh, we'll still be scared of death. I don't want to die. But I'm not scared of what's going to happen to me if I die. Because an old commentator said, if he holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave, who's the first person you see when you open a door with the person holding the keys? So when I die, I know this to be true. I believe this down in the depths of my being with who in, in, in every ounce of me. That when I die and close my eyes here, that I will open them and it will be just like that little girl. The first face I see will be the Lord Jesus Christ. He may even, he may even have his hand upon my hand. And he may say to me, young man, arise. Do you believe that? If you do, then you too can conquer death. If you haven't yet, I urge you, on your face before him here, and beg him, if you don't save me, I'll die and go to hell. And he will save you on the spot. If you'll believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these powerful, powerful words. And I pray that you'd use them today to convict people of their sin and their need, their desperate need of Jesus. May people run, run to your feet. Beg for forgiveness. Beg for salvation. Beg to be made whole. May you, by your Spirit, God, please work in hearts today. May there be one in here, please, I've prayed it all week, one that would put their faith in you for the first time today and be saved. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to go get dressed for baptism. But i got Brandon sitting here, and I'm going to ask Johnny to come sit right here. And if there's anybody that needs to talk about